Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Sophie, and we are Double Booked. We acknowledge that this podcast is created on Jar Jar Barung and Wurundjeri Country and pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. You can find us on Instagram at doublebooked.podcast, and I'm on Instagram as at katereads underscore. And I'm at sophies.little.library. Welcome to Double Booked. In this episode, we will be deep diving into the book that has taken social media by storm, Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. Kate and I have notoriously had different views on this book and we cannot wait to get into the reasons why. But first of all, we will begin as always with recommendations of the week and what we're currently reading. So Kate, what have you got to recommend for us? My recommendation this week is a little bit bougie, I must say, but last (laughs) week I spoiled myself to a facial, which was so lovely. Um, I, no reason, just because, and just really needed an hour of relaxing after a rough week at work, and that was the perfect way to do it. So if you, I realise that it is expensive and it is, you know, a quite a luxury to have an hour out of your day, but I recommend it because I had a great time. I'm really jealous. I feel like I... I know, I'm sorry. I really wish that I'd been there, part of that experience. <laughs> it was so relaxing. I really needed it. So that is my recommendation. What have you got for me? Um, I'm recommending an episode of Hamish Blake's podcast called How Other Dads Dad. Um, oh, yeah. I have not listened to any of this series, but I did listen to, I got drawn in by a, a bluey connection. So um, in his first episode of season two of How Other Dads Dad, he interviewed Joe Brum, who is the creator of Bluey. And it was all about his experience, obviously, creating Bluey, which is something else that has taken the world by storm. It also was his experience of, you know, being a dad and um, the research that has that he's sort of put into being the creator of Bluey and, you know, working in early childhood. It was just fascinating for me to listen to the ways, the like the, the readings that I suppose that he's done about play and different types of play and how those have, have informed the episodes of a show that is playing in my house near constantly so um, <laughs> I was just about to say does uh, your daughter love Bluey she loves it we love it though like to be fair kids shows are mostly pretty painful but Bluey's brilliant honestly mm. even even as an adult I would happily sit there and watch Bluey without a kid there which I think says a lot so yeah that's um, cool it's such a great show what a good yeah. recommendation yeah something a bit different so and what are you reading this week I've just started a new audiobook which was recommended to me uh, called Once Upon a River by Diane Setterfield. This book was so not on my radar at all. I hadn't seen it anywhere or heard anything about it. A beautiful person in my life sent me a message and said, I've just finished this book. It was so beautiful. It was one of the best audiobooks I've ever listened to. You know, it was really captivating and that she thought I would love it. And I was about five minutes into the, into the audiobook and I thought, ah, uh, yeah, she's nailed this recommendation. This is... Oh captivating is the word that I can think of for it at the moment I'm only about an hour in but I just I can't wait to see where it's going to go so is there actually anything better than someone messaging you being like I've read this and I know you'll love it like that is easily just the best thing ever like a tailored recommend not just like I read this book and it was good but like you will love this book like it's like Like going out of your way to message someone to be like I thought of you while reading this I know you'll love it and then you do love it and you're like oh like that was just so such a lovely thing to do my favorite way to connect with people what about you Kate what are you reading I'm glad we were meant to record yesterday and I'm glad that we pushed it to today because I've only just finished the same book that I was reading last week when we recorded (laughs) which was Things We Hide From The Light by Lucy Score it honestly took me over a week which is very uncommon for me 
I finally finished it. It was not as good as I thought. I've talked about it a lot on my bookstagram. So we might get into that one day, but I have only just started One Look by Lena Hendricks. No clue where this recommendation come from, what it's even about, where I found it. I think it was one of those books where a one, one quote came up on a reel and I was like, okay, download. Sold. <laughs> yep, sold. So I'm only really like a chapter in. So I'm not really, I don't even really know where it's going, but so far so good. I think it's going to be good. Okay, so we'll start our deep dive into Fourth Wing. So do you want to give us a brief summary about the book? Yes, I will. But I will start by saying, uh, well, two things. First of all, this episode will be full of spoilers. So if you haven't read the book already and you intend to, please stop now, go and read it, come back and listen when you're finished. The other thing that I wanted to mention is that it's been quite a while since Kate and I have read the book. I think that you read it back in May and I read it in July. So um, we might be a bit rusty. Yes, please bear with us as we forget (laughs) many details as always happens when we finish book. But the brief, as brief as I can make it summary is that the protagonist of this book is Violet Soringale, which I think is a great name actually, by the way. So she's the daughter of General Soringale, who is the most powerful woman in the military of the kingdom or country, I suppose, that the book is set in. There are four quadrants that people fall within in this world, and they are scribes, dragon riders, healers, and infantry. Violet is destined to be a scribe. She's always, that's always been her plan. She loves history. She loves words and reading and, and um, you know, recording history. She has a disability or a chronic illness that affects her physically, so it's always been assumed that it was safest for her to be a scribe until her mum goes rogue and tells her that too bad, you have to be a dragon rider and there's no ifs and all buts about it. So then she has to go off to this brutal war college where the cadets are just savages, basically, who try to kill each other all the time. (laughs) She has a target on her back right from the get-go, being the general's daughter, especially as there are children at this war college who are children from a rebellion that had happened maybe 10, 15 years ago um, and as punishment for their parents' actions in the rebellion the parents were all killed um they all have to attend this war college and and be part of this quadrant and they all hate violet and want her dead um Mm. including zayden reason who is the son of the rebellion leader and of course is the main love interest in the book the other thing that's important to know here is that riders the dragon riders bond with the dragon um, they have all kinds of powers and, and mind speaking abilities that they share um, with their dragon once they are bonded. And Violet turns out to be a bit of an anomaly who bonds with two dragons instead of one. And one of these dragons happens to be mated to the dragon that Zayden is bonded to, which means that Violet and Zayden are forever linked. There is then a whole lot of plot line around corrupt leadership, military strategies, resistance, and all sorts of other things that follow until we get right to the end where we discover, and like I said, spoilers here, big spoiler alert if you haven't read it and want to stop here, where we discover that Violet's brother Brennan, who we have learnt throughout the book, was killed by Zayden's dad, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, um, actually isn't dead, he's actually alive and part of the resistance, and that's right where the book finishes, so that sets up a second book in the series very well. So was that a decent enough summary for someone who's sort of forgotten most of the points of the book? Absolutely. (laughs) That's what I would have said. So 
Brilliant. We must also say um, at the start of this episode that it is a fantasy book, obviously. So all the names of the dragons and the places and the college and everything up to interpretation about how we pronounce them. So if you hear us pronouncing something wrong, you're probably right. Yes. Oh, no. Bear with us. Yeah. Oh, no, you didn't. (laughs) Quickly, before we jump into our actual thoughts of it, I just wanted to share some book stats because like you said before, Soph, this book really has taken the world by storm in the last few months. It has a 4.66 star rating on Goodreads with nearly 450,000 reviews, which is an incredible amount of reviews considering the book only came out in March, I believe. It spent 17 weeks at number one on the top of the New York Times bestseller list and is actually Rebecca Yaris's debut into fantasy, which I think we will probably talk about a bit later in the episode about world building and all that jazz but yeah it's actually her first fantasy novel which is pretty cool so like we said before this book has gone absolutely wild on instagram and tiktok it's pretty much everywhere you look it's on all the shelves in the shops and everyone's talking about it so should we get into what everyone's saying about it before we jump into what we think yeah i think that that's a good idea to set the scene for everyone about where this book sort of sits in um you know the bookstagram community and the and the wider book lover community so Mm. This is lauded as a bit of a steamy novel, but I don't know that that's quite what you think, Kate. Yeah, I've seen a lot online about everyone saying you like how steamy it is and how spicy it is and the romance. And I actually don't think I would class this as a steamy, spicy read at all. Like, don't get me wrong, like it is, there are some spicy scenes, yes, but I don't, yeah, I wouldn't call this a spicy read. I would agree with you. I think there's like, is there like two or three that are like big scenes, but that's yeah. it? Yeah. And like, you don't even read a lot of kind of spicy romances. Not that mm. I, you know, oh, we, like, we I do. We say not that I do, because I don't know no, that's no, true. No, no, <laughs> I was about to say not that I do like hardcore ones. Like, I'm like somewhere in the middle, somewhere a bit <laughs> wholesome, but also like, I really read run one dark romance. Yeah, let's not get too carried but away here. Let's not get too excited. But no, I definitely, yeah, I definitely don't think this is classed as a spicy read. I think some people are also saying that the writing and the world building isn't the strongest in this. And that's probably the one point that's come out the most in this book, which, yeah, we will get into later. But I think that's quite a theme that goes going around on Bookstagram about the world building aspect of it. What do you reckon? I will definitely talk a lot more about this as this episode goes on because that was one of my biggest gripes with this book. But it's interesting. I've heard this book described often as a book for people who don't read a lot, which I don't think that that's Mm. a really fair summation of this book. I think I do think that there is potentially some legs to that theory if you apply it to people that don't read a lot of fantasy, which I know is that's sort of where you sit with this. You don't read a lot of fantasy and this was one that you did read and one that you loved. Spoiler alert, Kate loved it. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, I think t- for people to say, you know, the writing's terrible, the world building was terrible. If you read a lot of fantasy and that's what you're comparing it to, mm. I think that, yeah, you know, that, that's one thing. But if this is not the genre that you normally read, then I think it makes a lot of sense that this has brought a lot of people along for the ride. So, yeah, I actually could not agree with that more. I, yeah, like you said, do not read a lot of fantasy at all. It really doesn't interest me but the hype for this got me good so (laughs) I you know had to work out what everyone was talking about obviously so I could join in on the conversation because I got a bit of FOMO (laughs) um so I think that's probably fair that yeah it's a good fantasy book for people who don't like fantasy 
that mm. makes sense. And do you know, it's it's funny that this is one that you have loved because in our last episode when we were talking about fantasy books, you mentioned Hunger Games as one that was a big mm. love of yours. And for me and for a lot of people, you know, if we're talking about the wider um, reading community and what they're saying about it, a lot of the commentary about this book has been about how many other books like this that it's drawn from, Hunger Games being oh, one yeah. of them, Divergent, an obvious one with the, you know, the, the different sort of factions. And is that something that you noticed when you were reading it too? Yeah, definitely. I think this is big Hunger Games vibes. And like you said, that's probably why I liked it so much because those books are so high on my list of all-time favourites. So the similarity between them, I think, is probably what drew me in the most. It's it's really similar to Hunger Games and Divergent kind of mixed together with a bit more spice, <laughs> but not too much. <laughs> but not too much. <laughs> I think that that's something that has really drawn a lot of people into that it, it's hit them right in those nostalgic feelings of, you know, mm. being a teenager and being so drawn into worlds like this. And that's, um, that's definitely been a common theme, I think. But let's talk now about our our takes on it I suppose so tell me I already spoiled a little bit by saying that you loved it but tell me (laughs) what is your view of fourth wing in a nutshell overall I did love it I really did it was one of those books for me that could not put it down and when it ended obviously ended like the last line was like the world's biggest cliffhanger Mm -hmm. so I like gasped (laughs) but I also feel like it doesn't I'm kind of one of those readers where it actually doesn't take a lot to impress me. (laughs) I feel like I'm quite easily pleased with books. I'm quite a high rater of books as well, like four or five stars. I give out quite easily. I'm very easily pleased. So I think a high rating for me and why I loved this book so much is that books that make me feel something like physically, like I'm like in this book, I was like crying and laughing and I gasped and I like, you know, wanted to throw it across the room and I wanted to text all my girlfriends about it and post on Bookstagram. Like it's one of those books for me that I was like, I need to talk about this to everyone, hence the episode. But <laughs> if a book if a book can do that for me, it's instantly, in my mind, a good book. It If a book can pull me into, like, that far into a world that I sit there for hours and just devour it and it gets, like, a physical reaction out of me, that's a sign of a good book to me. And that's exactly how I felt with this. I didn't want it to end. I was so addicted to it. I And, and I think what we said before, like, because I don't read a lot of fantasy, I think that when one, like when it gets me, it gets me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But you do not feel the same. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Look, we better not get cancelled over this. Yeah. Please don't hate me. (laughs) I really want people to keep listening to this podcast. So. If she doesn't uh, hate all the books I love, no, let's just clarify. And, yes, that's that's a very important caveat here. But if you, <laughs> <laughs> my overall view, I think of this book is that I liked the story and I liked the plot line, but I didn't love the execution. I think mm. that the writing let this book down so badly. Some of it was just so cringeworthy. Some of her in a I love the cringe. Oh, do you know? I like it. <laughs> cringe for me. There's two. There's two different types of cringe in my mind. There's cringe when it's like cheesy, and you're like, "Ugh, that's cringy," but like cute and adorable. Cute. And then there's cringe that is just so like clunky and unsubtle, and things just not flowing well. And that's what mm. this was for me, big time. Having said all of that, this. This is not a book to read if you're expecting great literature, 
but it doesn't have to be and I totally Mm. respect that we don't need to delve in critically into every single book I read sometimes we just read for pure escapism just to Mm. experience another world to be outside you know sometimes we don't want to use our critical thinking brain sometimes we just want a little bit of fun and that's that's where books like this have so much merit and such a strong place in you know the the broader reading world so I think that's an excellent point I think that's that's probably how I read all the time as well so I like I completely like I love that point yeah I really want I really wanted to make that point because I don't want people listening to think that I'm here going oh this book was shit and I'm so high and mighty like that's not what it is at all you know I just I think that when you read, oh, I don't know, for me, it's reading lots of different types of books and I, I naturally compare them to each other and that's where I get stuck mm. sometimes with books because I, yeah. I'm, but there's I a place compare. for it. There's a place yeah. for these type of books. Yeah, Absolutely. that's a great point. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, in this case with Fourth Wing, I did think that the writing was kind of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> No, but fired. the story was also so compulsively readable. So I, I was reading it thinking, mm, this execution is not great. The characterizations aren't great the way that she's writing. I didn't think it was great. But the story still had me flipping pages. So, like, I don't know, make of that what you will. But, um, I mean, for me, it, when I say the writing was kind of shit, I mean, it, it lacked nuance. It lacked subtlety. I felt like there was things that were just being told to us. There was, It was a we- lot of telling. Yes, and I yeah. I really like that sort of discovering things along the way alongside the protagonist rather than them mm. telling you what they're realising. It's like the, the show don't tell sort of vibe. So, um, yeah, it did get a bit info dumpy at one point. Yeah, yeah, and I have a few thoughts about that too, which I might say for a little bit later. But, but then there were some things that were just so bizarre to me. Like there was like the nickname Violence. Like what the yeah, that annoyed that me about? so much. What that a dumb nickname me. for someone who was yeah. so clearly not a violent human being. Like she, at any point, she was trying to diffuse tension. She didn't want to be a fighter. Why would he call her violence? It doesn't make sense. Was he being ironic? Was that, I is it, it. I don't, was it that whole like treat a mean, keys and keen, like pull the pigtails in the mm. playground kind of thing? And just like, okay, yeah, we get it. Move yeah. On. Oh, God, I'm not sure even open that can of worms because that whole thing makes me feel furious too because I think, like, <laughs> the, <laughs> the nickname, I just I just didn't get it. And every time he said it, I was like, Ugh, that's a good example of what I was talking about before with the cringe. Like, every time he mm. said violence, I was like, oh, shut up. Like, it kind of, like, pulls you out of the moment and pulls you out of the story as well. You're like, mm, not necessary. Yes, which is exactly what my next point is. So I'm really glad that you just said that because I felt like in this there was a lot of, like, modern – Modern, that might have been the right word, but there was a lot of slang that was used that pulled me out of the moment. I don't think that books like this have to have, like, you know, old-timey language, but when I read sentences where it says, like, he freaking smirked, like, he freaking oh. smirked to me, or, like, holy fucking hot, I found them so yeah. oh. jarring. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, I obviously read this a lot longer ago than you. I think, like, almost, like, two months. So I, like, forgot all about this. But now that you've said it, you are so right. Yeah. That. It just did not fit the theme. It didn't fit the timeline. Like right. there was just no need. And like, oh, I this has actually really annoyed me now that you've brought it up. This is a big gripe I had with the book. There was just no need for this internal monologue of like, oh, he's so freaking hot. He's mm. like, oh, it just, it was, I just felt like it was really lazy writing. Yes, and it was jarring. It just, it took me mm. from it. And like, and even when I'm saying that sentence, holy fucking hot. 
you have to put full stops in there too because it was it wasn't a sentence of holy fucking hot it was holy yeah, full stop right. fucking full stop hot full stop like, oh come on like yeah and that nah. was I noticed that that was something that she used a lot through the book and every time it happened I was like okay I totally get that and like the way that that you know that rhythm of speech is something that we are used to now but it just didn't I just didn't feel like it fit that yeah that storyline and yeah you know that's that's something that I think maybe is is great in a contemporary fiction book but and yeah, that is obviously what she normally writes so I wonder if that's part of it but um do but, you think also that sorry to cut you off there mm. do you think that it was it could have also been a way to show us as the readers how young she was and like that she was still was she a teenager I actually don't no, remember she was 20 she was 20 oh stand down never mind <laughs> carry on I was gonna say she was like 17 that I'm like you know 17 year old girls talk like that you're like he was so fucking hot that's another thing she she was 20 you're right yeah she was 20 but like but that's that's another thing like it just didn't it felt so inauthentic to have a 20 year old talking Mm. but then I don't know having said that I'm 33 years old and I probably see people down the street and think well holy fucking hot like you yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're like let's not judge here yeah but you know I just it just didn't feel quite right. To be right written for the in like a war college fantasy, like it felt old, like it didn't feel modern day to me. Yeah, yeah. Or like you know, future to me. But yeah, I, I don't think it fit. That's an excellent point. I don't think it was. Oh, so glad we agree did on anything. that. I know that's <laughs> probably us done for the episode. Um, yeah, well that's it. And thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. Um, but the the last thing that I wanted to say about my general views on this book because we've still got lots more to delve into here is that. The dragons were really cool. Oh my god, the dragons! <laughs> I loved the dragons. The dragons, were surely like the that's best like the highlight thing. of the book. Yep, best thing about the whole book for me were the dragons. So, um, thank God the dragons were in it. Otherwise, I don't think I would have even finished I, it. It took a while to get there, though. Too long. As soon as they yeah. came in, I was like, "Thank God, we are at yeah. this point." Yeah, I needed that. That was yeah. That was one of my points as well. That I'm like, could have come in quicker. I could have had more. I could have read so much more about them. Mm. Yeah, agree. So for me, this, I, I actually, just to go back to your earlier point about the way that you rate books and, and you know, you're saying that you're a, a high rater of books. I think that rating a book based on the vibes that you felt while you, while you were reading it is the best way to rate a book. Like that's mm. at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. So, um, but for me, this was a solid three star read, maybe even 2.5. <gasps> 2.5. Harsh. Mm, I don't know that I've ever rated a book below. No, that's not true. But yeah, books. Okay, no, you can't. That's, this is not the worst book you've ever read. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not <laughs> saying that. <laughs> but I will say that a rampage the, tonight. the worst books that I've ever read, I don't finish. So I don't feel that I can rate them I don't think it's fair to rate a book yeah no that's fair yeah I don't rate my dnfs either yeah so for books that I oh yeah that's fair for books that you actually do finish yeah 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 yeah. I kind of finished under sufferance but then yeah the last quarter of the book did kind of ramp up for me so so. oh the last hundred pages and which we will talk about but the last Mm. hundred pages like easily bumped up my rating yeah I agree if without that it got me good at the end would have been a whole different story without all of that. It's funny though, because when I shut the last page of this book, five stars. Every day of the week, five stars. But now that I've sat down and we've kind of talked about it a bit more, looked into it a bit deeper, it's probably drops to it probably drops to a four point five. <laughs> <laughs> it, lo- it loses half a star for me for 
things we will talk about in a minute with like the world building and the end and whatever. But yeah, I think the, like you said, the vibes, the vibes when you finish the book is always how I rate it. Because if I went back and re-rated like books I've read in the past when I've thought about it, the rating probably changes. Yeah, that's right. And then I suppose that's a bigger conversation then, isn't it, about the, the, yeah. like the merits of critical thinking about books and how much books are actually just for enjoyment sometimes. And that's totally fine too. Like that's exactly, yeah, exactly. So now that we know what we both thought about the book generally, let's dive a little deeper into what we liked and what we didn't like. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to, do you want to just go through what you liked and what you didn't like? Should we talk about what we both liked first? What are you thinking? Let's start with our dislikes first because Ooh. I only have one. Okay. <laughs> and I want to just get mine out of the way. I've got lots, but you go. <laughs> Actually, I have two. That's, that's not true. I have two. We've spoken about some, but you know, the nicknames and all that jazz. But for me, the biggest downfall for the book was the big battle at the end. I really struggled through this. I found it so hard to picture. I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I ended up actually skim reading a bit of it because I'm like, I don't know who's good, who's bad, what's a person, what's a monster dragon thing, who's riding who on the monster dragon. Like I had <laughs> no concept of what was going on and I was just hoping that it would wrap up with a nice bow at the end, which it kind of did. But I was, it completely lost me in that scene and it went for a while. I totally agree with you there that, and I think a big part of that was that it was just too long. That whole scene was too long. So it wasn't like it was making us work too hard to visualize it all and see it all through. So I think that that is a very valid dislike. Like I still don't know. And I'm not even going to try and say what they are. The, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, 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 why, 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 I heard someone else call it a, Viren or Vernon or something? Oh, oh like, no clue. So the Venon, the Venon of the oh, Venon, there you go. Venon of the Riders of the Werven or the, how would you say that? The, that's like the creature, the Venon of the Riders. So. And what's a Griff, the Griffin a or Griffin, Griffith? A Griffin is another creature and then See, like the Griffin like, Riders. I don't understand. <laughs> All I know was that there was a big battle at the end that Dane basically sent them there to die. Mm. That's all I needed from that. I didn't yeah. need all the rest. I was very confused. Speaking of that absolute weasel, <laughs> Dane, Dane is my other dislike for the book. What a brat. He was such a shit. He was such a shit. I really thought like halfway through the book, I was like, love a best friend sidekick. Like, I love this. Like, guy and girl best friend. Like, we never see this in books. How good. And then, and then <laughs> the absolute weasel just... Oh, it really got me. It, I took it personally. Yeah. I was really thinking that we were heading towards like a love triangle kind of situation here. And then yeah. you know, he turned out to be a real dick. Although so. she friend zoned him pretty quick. And then he just turned out to be a little blackmailing asshole. Yeah. I think she was really right to friend zone him. <laughs> Speaking of, hang on, I'm not actually past this. Dane, <laughs> besides the fact that he completely screwed her over and like, you know, touched her face, saw her memories, lied, yeah, took all sent those her things to die. from her without her consent. Yeah, yeah, and she was like so violated through that. He also just like didn't back her as a friend or like believe in her at all. Like I felt like she would. Sorry, he was constantly like, "She can't do this. She's not strong enough. She's not good enough for this. You shouldn't be here. We need to like, we need to get you out." Whereas like Zayden, on the other hand, I know he's a love interest, but like I feel like he was also like no, she's fine. She's strong enough. Like she can do this, like carry mm. on. And he really like backed her in that. And I feel like he was just like, like Dane was just such a shit friend and just being like, no, she, you're too weak. You can't do that. Yeah. He was really pissed me off. 
had no faith in her abilities at all no. or you know what what she could overcome to be able to do all of these things but, but yeah. then part of me though too thinks that Zayden being so far on the other end like it was almost like too cut and dry it's like mm. oh well Dane thinks she can't do it and Zayden thinks she can and like that's just kind of this is what I'm talking about when I talk about lacking subtlety and like nuance like it was yeah very, definitely you know, like shades of gray there it's like yeah, anyway. I think the whole Zayden relationship, that's also like a gray area for me. It's not a like, it's not a dislike. It just wasn't enough, I think. That's mm-hmm. the only way I can describe it is that, eh, like. This is a brilliant segue <laughs> to my dislikes. <laughs> because for me, the Tell romance storyline, Zayden, not Zayden himself, but the romance storyline was mm-hmm. the least exciting thing about this entire book for me. Yeah. And it just, it wasn't, it, I don't know. It just wasn't enough. That's the only way I can describe it. So I'm just like, meh. Yeah. Fun. And I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. And I think for me, I've, I've really been trying to work out what my trope is in romance that I love. Like people always seem to have like a trope that they gravitate towards. And I've always found it really hard to find one that I think is the one that I love. And I think that the reason for that is that it's sexual tension which fits so many different mm. tropes. But, like, true. Mm, I just didn't really feel like, oh, like it was there in some ways, but this has been pushed as, like, an enemies to lovers. It's not. But it wasn't. It was, like, insta-love. Nah. Like, they were enemies for, like, yeah. two seconds, and then, like, she's saying that she hates him, but she's lusting after him, like, immediately. Yeah. I just didn't believe it. I'm like, you know, he's yeah, probably I really not agree more. Like, yeah, I just... I really wanted when I read when I think about enemies to lovers, I think about books like The Hating Game by Sally Thorne. It is um one where like they despise each other. They hate each other. Yeah. Until something switches and they mm-hmm. realise that, oh actually, that's not the case at all. Yeah. But with yeah. it wasn't like that at all with this. Like it just No. You know, it was just an instant attraction and it just that really bugged me and you know I obviously I think that Zayden was a very sexy person very sexy character mm. but I just oh, have you seen the fan art uh, no but <laughs> I'm going to go look at it now I will send it to you because <laughs> my lord <laughs> <laughs> but it just yeah that the, the whole romance storyline of this I I think that this could have done if this book did not have that in it it would not have made a difference to me yeah actually that's a great point I think Overall, Enemies to Lovers is probably my least favourite trope. I actually avoid books that are Enemies to Lovers romances. I cannot stand them. In saying that, I did love The Hating Game as well. But in the general sense of it, I won't read an Enemies to Lovers. I really don't like it. So this is probably why this maybe won me over more than you because I'm like, well, well, it wasn't really. Yeah, that's true. Because I don't, yeah, I just, I don't like it. I just find it dumb. Because mm. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you didn't really hate each other. Over it. Yeah, come on. Obviously, <laughs> obviously you guys just wanted to be together right from the beginning. But exactly, but that was but that definitely could have been done better. Yeah, and that was that was one thing that really that really bugged me. But there was lots of other things. Just to finish off my not to finish off because let's be real. Yeah, just right. getting started. Just getting started. But the other things that I really disliked about this was that there was just there were so many things that just did not make sense to me. Like they talked a lot about the war, like the war effort was ramping up and like the, you know, the mm. borders were being compromised and there was attacks on them from like the Griffin riders, like all these other things. But if that was the case, like why would they still let the cadets at this war college just pick each other off in the middle of the night? Like they people, they're just killing each other left, right and Yeah, center. you're like, we've got a bigger picture here, people. 
yeah, like they need a lot of warm bodies in this army. So like, why wouldn't mm. they stop? I don't know. Like that, that didn't make sense to me. Like I get that it's like, you know, like the elite of the elite and there's the whole other quadrant of the infantry and I, I get that. But if you're looking for people that can ride on dragons, like surely you mm. would be like, guys, can you just not kill each other? Can you just behave? Just like, like we just, need everyone yeah, here. Just like yeah. roll. Like, and yeah, then, um, that's a great point. Why would they make the kids of the rebellion join the strongest fighters in the kingdom as a punishment? Like, yeah, like that's not a good idea. No, like they're obviously going to try to start another rebellion. Like this, mm. this doesn't make sense to me. Like I, I would think if it was me that I would force them to become a scribe and spend their entire life writing down the history of the kingdom and writing out their own parents' story from history. Like, wouldn't that be a exactly. better way to punish them? Like, there's things like that that I just thought, you know, it makes for a good story. It just felt like a plot hole to me. I love that with your dislikes, you go so deep into, like, the plot of the book and, like, what could have been better, whereas my dislikes are, like, why could everyone else stay on their dragon and Violet needed a saddle? <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't tell me that these people get on their dragon when they're, like, flying through the air. But no, poor Violet needs a saddle. Like, But I appreciate your in-depth discussions. <laughs> I'm a bit more, like, practical in that sense. So we obviously have found out that you don't overly like the book, but can you tell me anything that you liked about it? Yeah, Human no. Myth. There was there was definitely parts of it that I did like. So um, the first one being the representation of chronic illness in the book. Mm. Um, and I'm not quite actually sure whether to say disability or chronic illness here because I think it could kind of be either depending on you know, someone that was living with that sort of condition, depending on how they would identify, I suppose. But mm. um, I don't know that it's – I don't think that it's ever actually named in the book, but she has some kind of – I think it's like a connective tissue disorder or she has issues with her joints. You know what it is? Tell me. Did you know that Rebecca Yaros – has the same thing yeah that is why she wrote it into Violet's character so no I don't know the actual name of it but it causes brittle bones joint pain hypermobility so it's literally her her, she has written this into Violet's character which I love that was my top like as well yeah yeah I think it's such an important thing in novels especially novels where this is something that is a part of the identity of the main character, but it's not her entire identity. Mm. It's not like I'm mm. the main character who is disabled and this is my disabled life. It's This is a part of who I am. An and, aspect. And yeah, it's, you know, I have to make accommodations for this, but it doesn't mean that I can do anything any less, you know. Um, yeah, I actually saw online that some people were talking about that some people who have the same illness chronic illness um they read the book and they were like this is amazing it's so special it's so wonderful to read a main character who's such a badass that has the same chronic illness as me so I love seeing those reels on Instagram yeah like that I think that sort of representation is so important especially when it's written by someone who lives with the same condition um it it speaks a lot to the importance of own voices and making sure that we're we're reading Mm. stories written by people that that are living in in certain ways and um, that I, I loved that and I love that it wasn't like a tokenistic thing at the start like it, this was a really big part of, of her um, path through the book I suppose and, and the things that she yeah. found hard and, and um, those accommodations that were made for her like the saddle on the dragon <laughs> I, suppose, <laughs> I suppose that, that, that that's probably a big part of that but I loved I really did love that representation um, mm. I also loved the scribe quadrant as a whole um, I 
feel very strongly that if I was living in this universe, I knew you were going to say this. That's where I would be. <laughs> I'm no, obviously a dragon rider. Yeah, like the, obviously. <laughs> and there's no way you could ever get near a dragon. No. <laughs> um, but I, I loved the, I loved Violet's interest in history and how much that was a part of her character. And I think that that was probably done very deliberately, knowing that people that read this book will you know, most likely the people that love words and love stories and mm. that's that's a really um a really easy way for us to connect with the main character. Um but yeah, for me that. the biggest thing about the book that I liked was the dragons. I yeah. like well, the dragons and, and all of the creatures really. Like I, I just I found them all really interesting. But the um I knew before I went in that the dragons were these like sentient beings that had like their own thoughts and could communicate and I just thought, oh God, this mm-hmm. is gonna be cringy. Like, like how to train your dragon or something yeah yeah but it was like <laughs> the best part of the book for me in the end like as mm. soon as they were introduced like we were saying before I was like oh thank god like they're here um yeah. but it just it just worked like it was I thought that was really that was really interesting um and oh one more like my last oh you've got more book, one more is Liam oh yeah Obviously. I think that Liam was the best character in the entire book Oh, couldn't agree more. Hard agree. <laughs> he was Hard such agree. a sweetheart. I loved him. He was, yep. he was brilliant. I 100% shed tears at the end over him. Yeah. That um, got me good. That was not okay at all. I was no. devastated about where his storyline ended. But, like, the way, the way that that ended was mm. awful, but I also feel like it was done very respectfully and knowing that people would be so invested in his characters. So, like, so that was... His, his story was so much his, more powerful. Yeah, and his characterization, I suppose, throughout the whole book was, mm. I think, one of the best ones. There was a lot of one-dimensional characters in this book that really, like, just frustrated me, but Liam was not one of them. He had a lot of depth to him, and I really liked reading his storyline, so he was a big And now he's part. dead. And now he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you won't be reading a book too. <laughs> the one character you like is dead. He's gone. Oh. So what's left for me now? But tell me, what were the things that you liked or loved about this book? Well, pretty much everything you've just mentioned as well. Um, everything about the chronic illness representation, about Liam, um, about the dragons. I loved the storyline of her getting two. I did not mm. see that coming at all. I totally thought that she was going to end up with Andana. You know, they're both little, they're both small, they're both, you know, I thought they were going to pair up and just, like, fight the world together. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly Tarn, I think that's how that's how I say it, suddenly Tarn comes in and she's got two and, oh, I just, I thought that was so well done. I loved that bit. I loved it too. And I really, I thought exactly like you did, that it was going to be her and Andana and they were going to be like the underdogs that took on the whole thing. Yeah. That is my number one favourite part of the book was Violet and Tarn's relationship. I thought they were just, every time that they were doing their little inner monologue, obsessed. Like I loved, I thought Tarn was so sassy and witty and he was so funny, but he always had her back and I just there were so many parts of his dialogue that just made me laugh so much. Like when um, Violet was trying to summon lightning, mm. and like she needed like a reaction, and Tarn's like, "Should I go get the wing leader?" Yeah. I'm like, "God, oh, so good." Yeah, <laughs> he was so funny, and like when he gave her shit about having to walk up his leg to get on him, and like 
I just, that whole relationship was just so good. But did you know, little fun fact for you, when Rebecca Yaros was writing the book, she modelled Tarn and his personality and traits and everything off her dog. What? Yeah. Yeah. Like she said that she, I was there an interview um, about it and she said that she like would think that that's what a dog's personality would be like. Oh, how funny. (laughs) That's so cute. I love that. Their relationship was easily the biggest highlight for me. Loved it. And obviously, and Dana as well. Yeah. Oh, and I I totally agree. I loved, he was so, (laughs) Tan is so grumpy. I loved his like. So grumpy. Grumpy sass. Like he's and it's almost just like it's almost like an older brother type of thing. Like he's just like, yeah. Come on. Like I've just come on, come on, just, yeah. yeah. Shuffle on, get it together, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, get it together. That's literally his phrase. Like yeah. he would just be like, get it together, girl. Come on. <laughs> oh, I love like my favorite bit when he's always just like, don't make me look bad. Yeah, like don't yeah. make don't make me look bad. It is get it together. <laughs> get it together. So I think, and also the when they spoke like through their minds once they were bonded mm. every time that happened like obsessed that that was my favorite aspect of the book their relationship definitely yeah it was really really easy and fun to read do you think so because this book is all over bookstagram and it was everywhere do you find that with books like this the hype around it kind of changes the way you go into reading it um sometimes i you mentioned earlier about you got sucked into reading this book because you wanted, you had FOMO, you wanted to read it and talk mm. about it with people that, you know, were reading it at the same time. And um, I, I like reading books that are hyped for that exact reason that when you read them and love them, there's people there that you can reach out to and be like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. Or, yeah, I'm so scared that this is going to happen. Or, you know, like I, I love being able to do that with people. But um, it obviously builds expectation of a book though, which can be really hard to mm. meet sometimes. Um, I do think. Would you though, say this fell flat for you then? Um, yes. I Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, I think that the hype probably, oh, but having said that, I think I kind of knew what I was getting into. Like I, mm. not always the case because I do read books that I, that I don't finish because I don't get into them, but I do tend to pick the books that I read quite carefully so I know mm, what I'm getting into mm-hmm. before I begin I think that I knew going into this one that it probably wasn't going to blow my mind but I also like really wanted to like be in on it I had the FOMO yeah um, yeah I feel that yeah so I just, but I suppose hype more generally like like I'm saying I pick books quite intentionally so then there's there's great examples of books like where the crawdads sing or lessons in chemistry mm. that were mm-hmm. very hyped up very hyped up were everywhere people were talking about them people either loved or hated them but they were everywhere but I knew from reading what the books were about that they would be up my alley and I read them and I loved them and the hype didn't kill them for me but yeah this book it probably the hype probably really didn't help the situation even though I think I Mm. knew what I was in for but yeah what about you does does hype change the way you read a book yeah, I actually couldn't agree more. It's pretty much exactly my train of thought. When I get a book that is hyped, but I read it and love it, I'm the same. Like I'm like, immerse myself in the world, talk to it about everyone, watch all the reels, re- look at all the fan art, read all the quotes. Like it's a great opportunity to deep dive into a book when you love it and it's everywhere. Can't really get away from it. But when I 
when I don't and when I when I have really high expectations of a book because everyone's spoken about it I can't even think of an example off the top of my oh no I can't um Emily Henry's new book Mm. at the happy place happy place yeah I dnf'd that maybe like a quarter of the way no maybe just under halfway through really and that's a book yeah that's a book that I have seen literally everywhere hyped to the absolute max and I absolutely hated it could not think of anything worse I very rarely put down a book especially from halfway and especially an Henry Emily Henry book yeah but was that the hype didn't in for that Emily Henry's like the darling of romance books like that yeah, just and I've liked her other books but I don't know something about it I, don't, I can't even tell you what it was but I just it was so boring to me so I feel like that's an example of when the hype like did me in yeah the vibes were off but when I love a book yeah when I love a book the hype's the best mm. let's think back to fourth wing now and the writing style and the world building that I have had some trouble with. <laughs> what did you think about the way this book was written and about the way that the the world was built and um, and the scene was set for this story? Yeah, like I said before, I really don't read a lot of fantasy. The only fantasy I've like truthfully read as an adult is the Court of Thorns and Roses series, the Crescent City series, and this. And which two of them are by the same author, <laughs> by Sarah J. Mars. So I really, like, do not delve into this genre at all. It's not something that I would pick up. It's not something that I read. So I thought it was pretty good because it, because I don't read a lot of it, it's all new to me kind of thing. You know, the having to use the map at the front of the book to kind of set the scene and then for fantasy books because yeah because I don't read a lot of them I find fan art really helpful Mm. but then like I said in a previous episode I think you have to be quite careful with fan art because it can spoil a lot of the book for you so I do try to wait until I'm near the end but I think with world building in a fantasy book yeah fan art pictures of places um the parapet is that the yeah yeah the bridge thing I kind of struggled with that at the start and then I saw a photo on Instagram and I was like oh of course like I had it right and I doubt myself and then I'm like maybe I'm not smart enough to understand this and maybe I'm like picturing this wrong and I'm not getting the getting the point of the book so I think I can get in my head a lot with a fantasy book because I'm like I don't am I picturing this properly instead of just like you know reading a romance book set in New York like I know what that looks like yeah it's easy to get in your own way when you're reading a book Mm. like this isn't it yeah, so I find fan art really helpful, but I, from a world building perspective, I thought it was fine because I probably don't know much different. Is that, do you think that because you do read a bit of fantasy, like that kind of changed your mind about this then? Um, I mean, it's tricky, I think, with the first book in a series too, because there's always that thought in the back of my mind mm. that there are more books to come that will fill in some of these blanks, but I, I found it fairly easy to picture you know the world that they were in and the scene that they were in and um I really liked how Violet sort of recited history in her head to distract herself while she was completing dangerous tasks and I thought that was so you actually don't know about that I thought I found that a bit info dumpy I didn't mind it because I love an info dump when it helps me make sense of what I'm reading but my problem with this though I don't I don't mind an info dump like this if it's part of a broader um, narrative of sharing information about the world that we're in. My issue mm-hmm. with this with, in this was that um, it didn't really flow through the rest of the story very well. It, she, mm-hmm. she did that and she recited that history and that was her distraction and I understand that very strongly 
you know, as someone that often will do that, I do that myself when I'm feeling stressed mm. about a situation, I will, you know, jump into a, something that I know very well and, and feel very comfortable with to be able to get myself through it. Um, yeah. But I liked that that was an info dump that, that gave us all this information. But what I didn't like was that then, yeah, it didn't really flow very well through the story except for um, the whole storyline with the venom and the Wyvern or however you pronounce that, but I still haven't worked out. Um, and that, that whole, you know, fairy tale book that she wrote with her dad. And I really loved that that was something that was sort of planted early and then turned into a really big plot point. Oh, I, was, I actually like, completely forgot about that. You're yeah, so right. Like, that was really well done. And I think that, you know, that was, that was a scene that was set that then translated into something later. And that's what I needed more of across mm. the whole book. But that's then, an yeah. excellent point. Yeah. That's a great point. I actually completely forgot about that. That is, that was such a good, yeah. If that had happened throughout the whole book and if that kind of writing style was throughout the whole book, I think it would have been a very different book. Yeah. And like the way that they talk about the resistance and what happened, like there, there's mm. certain parts of it. I think again, like Liam with Liam's story and like there was parts that Liam could put words to, but with the resistance as a whole and, and how it all played out and, I think if that had been plant, like seeds have been planted and, mm. and sort of worked through in this story, it would have been yeah a much better read. But um, the other thing that I think I found a bit tricky with this world building was the characters. Like I said before, a lot of them felt really one dimensional, and one of them mm. was General Soringale, so Violet's mum. That's like this you know powerhouse of a military woman that just I don't know. She just seems like a terrible person, really. But mm. um, but like that's that was a problem for me because I kind of felt like she was this really one-dimensional character that didn't have – I want to know more about her. What made her the way that she was? Why is she doing the things that she's doing? What are her motivations? Where does she come Like I want to know all of that. Yeah. But I'm hopeful that these will come out – this will come out more. And I am reminded – I have been reminded by friends of mine that I often say to them how much I loved the Court of Thorns and Roses series, but I always say to people – I liked the first book, but I loved the rest of the series. Like it's almost like you have to get yeah. through the first book to be able to get into the rest of it. Isn't that so true with many series? Like the first book, you're like, you just got to push through because I promise the second one's better. Mm. I promise you need to keep reading. The rest of the series is better. So I'm hoping that maybe this is the lowest scoring book for you out of this series because she has promised five. Five is wild. Like that's that's a little bit daunting. But the thing that's funny about that though is that normally the first book in the series is the worst or not the worst, mm. but like, you know, like the hardest to read because of all of the world building. But mm-hmm. in this case, for me, this one did not have enough of that. So I want more of that in the later books. So that's just been an interesting change to my normal <laughs> feeling about, yeah. about you know, first books. So. And did you find most of like the things easy to easy to picture as you were reading it? With like the parapet and the, you know, the battle and at the end and stuff. Because like at the end, you know, the, sorry, not at the end, the, one of the challenges where they had to go up like the obstacle course wall thing. Oh, it was like Ninja Warrior. Yeah. Literally. Um, it was like Wipeout. Like, yeah. you know, the TV show Wipeout. That's, oh it even God. had the big ramp at the end that they have to run oh. up. I was like, this is literally pulled off this show. I haven't thought about that show for years, but yeah. that Oh, we watch I mean, it all the time. I feel like I could picture that because that's exactly what I was picturing. Like, you know, they were talking about this and that's what was in my head. But, um, like, I, I found the parapet fairly easy to visualise. But, um, the like we talked about before, like the battle scene at the end, that was, yeah, I had to work way too hard to be able to see all of that mm. going on and I found it really difficult. So, yeah, I agree. So let's talk about that ending. There was a <laughs> very big reveal at the end, bit of a cliffhanger, 
um, obviously Liam died, which we've already talked about, and I just don't know if I can go back into that because it's just going to be hard <laughs> again. Um, but at the end, we find out that Brennan, her brother, is alive. He's part of the resistance, part of the rebellion. He's been working with Zayden. Um, there's lots of things that have dropped right, like in like the final pages. Um, how did you feel about that? That I did not see that coming. I think I'm very naive when I go into books and I don't pick the endings of books very often. Mm-hmm. I think I'm like, read what they're telling me as, and I take that as it is. I don't really expect to be twisted at the end. So that got me good. It was literally the last page. It all kind of got revealed. I yeah definitely didn't see it coming with her brother being alive and um, and Dana being big now as well oh, after yeah, the battle. I about that. Yeah. yeah, that she's a feather tail that's now massive I guess grown up I'm not really sure I guess book two will go into a lot more about Mm -hmm. that but I feel like there was so many loose ends at the end of this book that I mean there obviously is a second book and it is going to be she has said it is a longer series but it just it frustrated me that I'm like what do you mean like what do you mean it's over like I have so (laughs) many questions so many questions so rude and it really just like ended on like the last page it was that was it it was like a chapter ended but it wasn't it was the book so next book, let's talk about the next book. You're, you're going to read it? Oh, I'll read it. I think I've already pre-ordered it, actually, if I'm being honest. <laughs> She's going to be in the mail the day, it's, uh, the day it's released. But it's out in November, which this book only got released in March, I believe. So that's not long between books for a big, chunky fantasy series like this. It's a very short turnaround, isn't it? That, yeah. That concerns me. Yeah, what what do you reckon? Do you, uh, apparently the next book's thicker as well, like it's a longer book. Oh god. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, I yeah, I mean it worries me that it's such a short turnaround because the obviously mm. the gripes I have I don't know that a very quick, you know, banged out book is going to be the answer to my problems. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you reckon that the next book's going to be a lot of info dumping about the rebellion? Like it's just going to like catch us up in the first like few chapters about what they've been doing in the background? Yes. And I hope that it is because mm. I mean, look, and look through this whole episode, I've said that I didn't love it and what, but I'm obviously going to read the next one. <laughs> um, but I mean, what was missing for me in this book was, I mean, quite a few things, but one of the things that I have been thinking a lot that I wish I had known more about was the rebellion, what's been happening there, Mm. the political structure, the dragon Mm. hierarchy, the dragon history. Um, I hope there's so much missing. Yeah. And I I want that info dump at the beginning of the book to keep me going. I think if I don't get that, I Mm -hmm. don't know that I will be... I don't want this to be a book that's just about Violet and Zayden because that will not keep me going. I could read a whole yeah. series about the dragons alone and delete everything Same. else and be so happy. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, I want I want that information about the rebellion, the political structure, the, the dragons, the hierarchy, the history, what everyone's been up to in the background, all of the things that we haven't seen. I want to know what's yeah. you know what what's been happening in, in the background. So. Um, yeah, that's an excellent point. I'm hoping that that's the case. But the thought, the the fact that she's got five books in this series, like it makes me think that it's not going to be wrapped up nicely in the next book. Oh, I don't love that there's five. I want no. like max three. Yeah, three in a series is perfect for me. Mm. Do you think that the end of this book was 
the exact ending of one of the Hunger Games books. I don't know if you remember, but at one of the end of the Hunger Games books, there's, I think it's Catching Fire, the second book. The They go back into the Hunger Games. Katniss gets injured. We think she's dead. She wakes up in, they like pick her up and they take her she wakes up in District into 13. like the hospital. Yes. Yeah. And, and, they, and literally the last line of the book is, I can't remember the guy's name. He turns to Katniss and goes, welcome to the rebellion. And then the movie book ends. Oh, done. that's such a good point. And I, like, as soon as I finished this book, I was like, that was literally the Hunger Games. That's been lifted straight from that. Like word for word. Wow, that's such a good point. Yeah, it like really, it's just, it's exactly the same. Like we thought that this big battle, we thought it was all over. Oh my God, we thought it's ending. Suddenly she wakes up, she sees someone that she probably shouldn't see and they go, welcome to the rebellion. Mm, and I, maybe that's why this has got me intrigued because I loved that in the Hunger Games. So I know, maybe, right? Maybe. I mean, it's a way, it's a, it's an incredible way to end a book. It gets pretty much everyone, you can guarantee that everyone who read the first one is going to read the second one pretty much. Yeah. and it, With a cliffhanger like that. It reminds me a little bit of um, the Crescent City series, the second book. Mm. Um, oh, my God, yeah, of course. The ending of that and how much Wait, that, don't spoil it. No, I will not. <laughs> I would not dream of it because that blew my mind. I feel like I can spoil Hunger Games. That's been out for years. Yeah, exactly. That's... There's like a statute of limitations on these things and that one has well in the past. But um, the ending of Crescent City mm-hmm. made that, like the book as a whole I didn't love, but the ending made it worth it. And I feel like this is the same sort of read. A hundred percent. It, um, I don't think with, I know we're getting on a bit of a tangent, but I don't think with Crescent City I would read, I would have read another one if it didn't end the way it did. Yeah. Agreed. So I feel like you're, you feel like this about Fourth Wing. Like you probably could have read the book, finished it, put it on the shelf and be like, yeah, fine, whatever. I've read it. I've seen the hype. Great. I don't need to read the second one. But because it ended the way it did, you're like, well, I obviously have to read it now. Yeah, like I want to bloody know now. So Yeah, like, and I have to join in on the conversation. And, of course, when the next book comes out, we will be reading that and then deep diving that one again because this was so much fun. I'm so glad that we did this. This was one of our most highly requested episodes to record. So I hope everyone loved it. And like we said earlier in the episode, please don't cancel us. <laughs> yeah. No, don't cancel Sophie. I have a great opinion. Yeah, you're fine. You're fine here. It's only me. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you loved our deep dive into Fourth Wing. And we can't wait to have you back for our next episode. Don't forget, our book club episode will be out at the end of September. And we are reading... The Things We Leave Unfinished by, again, Rebecca Yaros. Mm, A bit of a theme here. And until next time, we are Kate and Sophie. And we are Double Booked. Mm -hmm.